You're listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. To all the listeners out there today, from my heart to your heart, I want to thank you for being a part of what this show is all about. It is because you, the listener, you're sharing this out on your social media pages. You're texting it to a friend. You're going into your Spotify account and clicking the share button on a particular episode. Because you're doing that, we continue to grow and we continue to meet people where they are at. So thank you from my heart. I am deeply, deeply grateful. And as you know, this show is everywhere. You want to listen to your music, your books, or your podcasts. We're all over the place. Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Audible, Player FM, wherever you want to find this show, it is there for you. The simplest way, though, is at danielkitchell.com. That website is fantastic because you can go there and you can read the show notes for every interview I've had. You can also click on all the links for the interviews and articles and references and sources. It's a great tool for you at danielkitchell.com. And as we do on this show every time, let's start with a question about life and about leadership. And today's question is going to cut pretty deeply. And here it is. Are you making the most of your time? When you think about answering that question, don't rush into it. Are you making the most of your time? Look at it from a 30,000 foot viewpoint, a 365 day calendar. Think about how you spend your days because how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And the way that you spend your days is based upon the routines and the habits and the rituals that you have set up for yourself. And so your rituals and your habits, they're vitally important to your life. They're the sum total of who you are. I recently heard a statistic that said that the average American is spending 29 days a year on social media. And that's what I mean by looking at it from a 30,000 foot view where you have to look at the calendar and think, if I just do what the average American does on social media, I need to block off the whole month of February to do that. That's a sobering thought to think that 29 days of my year is just spent swiping, scrolling, and clicking. Are you making the most of your time? Think about the habits, the rituals, the routines that you have in place in your life, whether they're good or they're bad. Think about what happens when you wake up in the morning and things you do throughout the day and how you go to bed at night. Are they healthy habits? Are they habits that are bringing you closer to your family and bringing you closer to God? How you spend your days is how you spend your life. Are you making the most of your time? And as we consider whether or not we're making the most of our time, I want you to know that today's interview is going to leave your cup full to the brim and spilling over. Pastor Michael McDaniel will join me on the show today. He leads a church in Oklahoma City called Northeast Missionary Baptist Church and has been doing so for 14 years. Recently, he wrote a book called Things I Think 
you ought to know. It is a profound book, a special book, one like I've never seen before because Pastor McDaniel has written a book to his two sons. Inside of it are life principles, wisdom, experience, the good and the bad and everything in between. He pours his heart out to his two sons. And I have to tell you, the first time I read it, I could not put it down. Chapter after chapter, I just could not stop because it was so simple. It was so deep and it was so rich. And while the book was written for his two sons, I cannot help but think that it was written for all of us because inside of it, there are life principles. There are timeless truths that could change us all. And what I love most about the book is that there's a story behind it. Pastor McDaniel is going to tell us that story. It's gripping. He will take us back to his childhood and his teenage years that were extraordinarily difficult. And he'll show us how he was able to go play football at the University of Oklahoma. He'll walk us through all of that with great detail and many, many stories. There's a refreshing honesty about mistakes that he made, successes that he experienced. We're going to laugh some. We're going to share our hearts with one another. And I just can't wait for you to hear it. Here is my interview with Pastor Michael McDaniel. Michael, thank you for joining me on the show today. It's an honor to have you on. Hey, thank you so much, Daniel, for for just uh, this uh, incredible invitation, man. Absolutely. I know God is really going to use this, and I can't wait to see the fruit of that. And I want to just jump right in with you. Uh, when we had our pre-interview chat on the phone, um, I just asked you what you were passionate about. Mm-hmm. And a very simple question, You, without hesitation, your response to me was that you are passionate about the underdog, that you want to see uh, and root for the person that has been told they can't do something. And I want to just start there with you and, and why that's um, your mantra, mm-hmm. who you are. And I think that'll be a great uh, launching point for us today. So talk to us about that. Well, thank you. When you think about the underdog, and, and from my perspective, I've been an underdog, right? I've been the guy who has come from meager beginnings. I've been the guy who was raised in a single parent home, right? right. You know, so my mother has five children, five different men, right? Mm. So my father has eight children and only three of the eight are by the same woman. So I come from something that people say statistically that this is a bad situation. The community I grew up in, we've had several people die on death row. Mm. Uh, In the state of Oklahoma, the first female that was executed in Oklahoma is from my community. And so, man, I remember when I was 13 or 12 or something, the TV station rolled down my neighborhood, Musgrave, on Catherine. Later on that night, I saw myself as they talked about drugs in the neighborhood. And it became really a turning point for me to say that no matter where I'm from, I can make it, right? Uh, Not knowing what God had in store for me in terms of athletics, uh, but man, I've just grown up just rooting for people who no one uh, believes in. People have doubted them and don't think things are possible. Uh, I don't care if my favorite team is playing. I'm I'm liable to root for the team <laughs> that they're beating just because I'm so I, – I, you know, I heard a guy speak and he says, my chances of success were between Slim and none mm. and, and Slim just happened to be out of town. 
and so the reality is, is yeah. that I think even when you look at scripture, mm. Christ is about the underdog, right? right? Absolutely. I, I, I did this thing the other night about Mary, you know, it's Women's History Month, right? And yeah. so Nazareth, you know, can any good thing come from Nazareth? We think about Christ, but literally Mary was first. Mm. And so uh, the underdog is important to me yeah. uh, because I think people are going to miss out. And I think they experience something greater when the underdog ultimately gets on top. Oh, that's good. Wow. Take me to the moment you said you saw yourself on TV. Yeah. So tell the, us about that. The the, the 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 TV cameras were talking about drugs in Oklahoma City, yeah. et cetera. And they rolled through my neighborhood on my street. And I happened to be standing outside in the typical neighborhood. I got no shirt on, no shoes, <laughs> some shorts, right? Wow. I'm, a, I'm a preteen boy. I'm 12, 13 or something and hanging on a uh, matter of fact, one of my friend's father's truck, uh, Mr. Johnson's truck. And and I saw that they, they ran in and said stuff about drugs. Now, don't misunderstand there were drugs yeah. in the neighborhood. I just happened not to be one of the guys who was selling them. So, mm. um, and I just, I just, I thought that was disrespectful, right? That no one, you know, you just took the footage and they didn't show my face obviously, but yeah. I know who I was standing on that truck. And so uh, it just gave me this mentality to fight for my community because mm. there are others who may not and who may ostracize us and marginalize us and think, yeah, that's all they're going to ever be. Yeah. And so, and then athletically, I was a academic casualty, right? I'm what right. they call a prop 4286. It goes through this metamorphosis. Sure. Uh, but I graduated from college, right? Mm -hmm. I did something. And anytime anybody ever talked about me, they were like, well, it's Michael McDaniel, the prop, right? Like the dumb jock, right? It, yeah. was, it always preceded me, right? Yeah. So, uh, so life for me has just been about overcoming, right? Yeah. And so, I want to help any underdog in life, right? That's so good. I I was looking at, I was reading some articles about you and and it was so true that, like you said, every every article started with your deficiencies oh, absolutely. in academia, like, you know, like being in, in, you know, just in the classroom and making the grades and all of that. And how did, I mean, how did you, how did that set with you? Did it make you mad? I mean, did well, it get old? I mean, talk well, to me. Well, <laughs> listen, there have been some, some occasions in my life where people, I was speaking at some church and some guy introduces me that way. He, he doesn't even, he didn't know me really at the time. And yeah. to introduce me that way, I, I almost like, Lord, help me keep my mind stayed on you. Cause I'm about to, I'm about to tell him something, but <laughs> I need to focus on preaching this word. Um, yeah. You got to imagine a, a kid like myself who was told that he was going to be something athletically after people began to see. And then to think that this one thing, right, this academic piece, I was not getting right. Yeah. Um, I had an IEP, which is an individual education right. plan, uh, and they recommended that I go to trade school. Right. That I still have that IEP in my desk at church right now. Right. You know, I'm a guy with a master's degree now, <laughs> been accepted into doctoral programs. And so psychologically, it hurt me as a young man. Oh, right. Sure. Because I felt like I was a complete failure because no T I got along with no ACT, no SAT. If it had a T, we were enemies. <laughs> right. So. So it was an incredible thing to carry that weight and that burden, because now, remember, I'm carrying the burden of my academic failures, right. but I'm also carrying the burden of being the first in my immediate family to go to college, probably the third or fourth in my entire family. Mm. The burden of being the oldest boy and all of my athletic exploits have been 
beneficial to my family and how we lived. So I got the burden of a mother and four of the siblings on top of me. And now I can't make any of it work because I can't get a dadgum test right. (sighs) Wow. So yes, it had a tremendous effect on me. Mm. Uh, And for a long time, I felt as if I could never overcome it. It took a lot of support, a lot of people at the University of Oklahoma, but ultimately I accomplished and 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 conquered it somewhat. Not not necessarily sure, sure if I have, but uh, but I, I certainly can act like I know something now. So wow. <laughs> well, and and so you go back to the neighborhood and you think about how do you how did you feel like you separated yourself from what was going on around you on the I, street? I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I was very much a part of yeah. some of those activities as anybody was. Sure. Right. I didn't sell drugs, but my friends sold drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it in the community. These were these were this was my family. Uh, but I'll tell you something uniquely different about me that I don't know happened for every kid in my situation. Those men who were selling drugs or who were the bootleggers took an interest in me. Mm. And so what happened was. When stuff was going on, they would always make sure I moved out the way. Literally, they they would buy me things in order to keep me from being enticed to do those other things. Man, I'll be flat honest with you. A, a, a drug dealer, bootlegger in my community took me to my first NBA playoffs where I got to see the Dallas Mavericks play the Los Angeles Lakers with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with Magic Johnson, with Scott and Roe Blackman and all these other guys, right? Because that's what he wanted to do for me, right? He wanted to always make sure that I had an outlet. He encouraged me. Even though I'm watching all of this crazy stuff go on, I'm not necessarily a part of it, but I'm there. Yeah. And, And it was crazy because at some point, the people in the community began to sense Okay, this is that's that kid, right? Right. And and my family had been in that community for a long time. And we had other athletes that came out of my neighborhood. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Tracy Moore mm-hmm. uh, who played at John Marshall and, and played University of Tulsa, played, I don't know, eight years or so in the NBA. And and there are other guys, um, Charles Franks and and that whole family. Uh, yeah. they, they moved away from my neighborhood at some point. But uh, so for me, I, I don't act like I wasn't there. Yeah. I, I, you know, I did nonsense, too. But sure. at, at some point I was like, eh. <laughs> jail is not really an option yeah. for me. So, wow. so, so, so my involvement only went so far. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's kind of interesting that you say, uh, it's almost like the people that were doing bad things around you saw something in you that they did not want to ruin. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that is the, that is the honest to God truth. Yeah. Um, I remember maybe going down to the bootleggers to, to buy some alcohol for someone. Right. Yeah. And he said to me, Hey, Whoever wants this, they can come get it themselves, but you're not buying anything. Mm. Take your butt back up the road. Right. Wow. And so it became that I, I I was, I don't know, man, you know, the Bible talks about angels all day, all night watching over us. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's as if I feel personally as if I've been escorted through life with, with this angel. Oh, wow. Uh, and not because I deserve it. Yeah. Not because I haven't made mistakes, um, but the Lord has really preserved what he's began, right? And what he started a long time ago. Gosh, that's powerful. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, when I, if I was going to preach or pastor, that wasn't on my, that wasn't on my (laughs) radar. I want to play football. 
um, shoot, I, I <laughs> preach what? Man, I want to go to NFL and buy my mama a house. Yeah, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. Yeah, he does. He sure does. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. So, so take us to your, your high school. You went to John Marshall, correct? Yes, so tell us about your years there and how you excel as an athlete and what that led to and where it took you. Well, I don't, I don't know how much I excelled because <laughs> there were so many other guys around that, yeah. that could play basketball. Certainly I come from a, a long family members who had gone to John Marshall and central uh, before integration. So at the end of the day um, started playing, I didn't play football um, until I was in high school. Right. Wow. So really didn't play little league football, but I played in high school. Ultimately, I end up being the only parade All-American in the state of Oklahoma in 1992, whatever, all of those other things. And so um, the number two recruit in the country behind a guy by the name of Tameric Vanover that went to Florida State and played in the NFL. So clearly Mm -hmm. he should have been number one. He was much better than me. (laughs) Um, I played basketball and I ran track. Man, I did those things because it was fun to do, right? It was I had some athletic ability to do so. Uh, I didn't really want to be in trouble. Right. So other than, you know, chasing girls like every other boy does. And so, man, at some point um, I played for Tommy Griffin, uh, which is Blake and Taylor Griffin's father, John Marshall. He was my freshman basketball coach. I played Mm -hmm. for a guy by the name of Clyde Ellis, uh, who was the head football coach and a guy named Andy Bogart, who coached at John Marshall and Heritage Hall, whom all my my boys, my two boys played for at Heritage Hall. So. Man, I just I had some great coaches around me, some great people around me, and um, you know they gave me an opportunity. And so I, I never there were guys on my basketball team that could out jump me. Now I, I'll tell you this, Daniel, I, I'm pretty mean on the court. Now I you know I I get in there and tussle a tiny bit. Uh, so man, just just growing up the way I grew up, you just you never back down from a challenge. You competed. And and it was just that hunger and that drive. Yeah. So, uh, but that's you know. So I had a great time. Um, basketball. I think we went to state uh, several times. Football. Right. We never made the playoffs. Uh, track. Uh, we I've won some in, um, you know individual medals in, in state and and our four by four team won state championship. Yeah. So I've gotten a chance to experience it yeah. all. It's, it's been great. And that's that that gave you a you know, a way through all of that, you know, and, and got you to things probably you wouldn't have experienced had you not had some of those abilities that God gave you. Man, you 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 take the 1980s and 90s with with gang violence, mm. especially in my community and yeah. those communities on my side of town. Uh, I also played AAU basketball sure. with the Oklahoma City Rams with the likes of Johnny Johnny Williams. I played for a couple of guys named Jack and Carnell when I was younger. And I remember being out of town, playing in tournaments, and then coming back home. And, and almost every time I would return home, someone died. Someone died in mm. this whole red and blue conflict that brewed in the 80s and 90s. Mm. Uh, and and I'm like, man. And so when I think back and I just alluded to that angel, the fact that I wasn't around, I, I couldn't be a part of it. Yeah. Because though I may not have been an active gang member, I would have been around playing, hanging out with my friends on, on at the park or at what we call the courts or just walking through the neighborhood. Sure. And so I was able to miss much of that. Because of my sports activities. Sure. And my mother didn't have a dime to pay for it. So, uh, man, I remember some of my coaches taking me to their home, feeding me, 
you know, one of my coaches used to always tell me if I didn't play well, all I, he was going to give me to eat was French fries and water <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a cheeseburger. Right. So uh, he was being facetious. But, yeah, sure. But but honestly, man, I've seen guys take out their own pocket, you know, take mm. food off their own tables. They they help my mother pay bills. Yeah. All I'm telling you, this is so why should I not go for the underdog? Right? That's right. Absolutely. We got to root for the underdog. That's right. I was just thinking that as you said that, you know, you you start with this idea of rooting for the underdog and it's it's that passion's probably linked greatly to your experience with other people picking you up and and helping you along the way and so thank God for that. So you're you're getting um, massively recruited, I'm assuming mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. Um you decide ultimately ultimately to go to the University of Oklahoma. Yeah. Walk us through that decision and why you landed there and why that was the best fit for you. And I know that might be a story, but we got time. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> uh, let me tell you, being recruited back then, I think, was absolutely incredible. Um, I told someone the other day, this, the movie Blue Chips is is probably more accurate than people would like to believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some of these things are not so flimsy. You've never seen Blue Chips. We'll link to it in the show notes. Okay? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So... Uh, man, it was it was crazy, right? Yes, I did. I got a lot of recruiting letters, had potential to go some different places. Uh, now, not everybody wanted to 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 recruit me. Obviously, at some point, when academically it didn't look like I was going to make it. Yeah. To be quite honest with you, I had I been eligible, I may have gone to University of Washington in 1991. They won a national championship, right? right? So I went on a recruiting trip there. Not only me, but a Oklahoma guy who came here to Oklahoma, Chad Davis. We were actually on our recruiting trip together. Um, ultimately, um, I'll tell I'll tell this story. I got recruited by Oklahoma State. Obviously, my my coach Andy Bogart, who you know, who's a man, is like a father to me. Uh, Pat Jones and my mother smoked cigarettes one day <laughs> for at least two and a half hours. For those of you who don't know, Pat Jones, the old <laughs> Oklahoma State head coach, football coach. So Listen, that's good stuff. They they was just they was smoking them and tossing them, man. <laughs> and so and so there were those who just really believed that I was going to university, Oklahoma State University. But yeah. but John Blake was at University of Oklahoma and he was recruiting me, obviously. And and you know, someone says he can sell ice to an Eskimo. Mm. And um, so I remember uh everyone coming to my house, Coach Gibbs, you know, John Blake, um, Lucius Selman, mm. like half of the staff came. Yeah. And so Gary, Coach Gibbs is ready to talk. And he reached up and turned down the volume on my on my TV at home. And my mom says, Who told you to turn that volume down? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this man's not gonna give me a scholarship because my mother just defended him. <laughs> so ultimately I committed to go to University of Oklahoma. And Merv yeah. Johnson says, Yeah. He's the only I'm the only guy he knows uh, who went to a school where his mother didn't want him to go. <laughs> and so but it was the best decision for me. Yeah. And ultimately, I think the best decision for my life, man. So sure. uh, and I share in the book, ultimately, we'll get to it. But yeah. I, I played football because I could. Yeah. I was never in love with football. Mm. Yeah. I read that sentence last night. And as I read through your book again, you said you didn't love football. Mm. It was kind of just something you did, something you were gifted with that. You know, took you I places. I didn't but, have the option, yeah, not to do it. Mm. I remember when I was tossing about whether to play football or basketball. I think it was Coach Bogart, if I'm not mistaken, Andy, who's an Oklahoma State booster alum, all of that. Uh, and then when I decided I wasn't going to Oklahoma State, he introduced me to a guy named David Deardorff, Super Dave, as I affectionately call him now. But Coach Bogart told me, I believe this, and he says you can go a lot further in football. 
versus basketball, right? Because yeah. basketball, I loved. Football, I liked, but I was good at it. Sure. Right? Not to say I was good, but I could play it. Yeah. So, and, and here, man, because people have rooted for me, my motivation has been my family to, to, to help my family not always be the underdog. Yeah. And if, if, if I could use this gift, this talent to help my family, well, then that government, that's what that's I was right. going to do. No matter what it costs, no matter mm. the sacrifice, you don't have to be in love with it to do it. Ah, that's good. So wow. that, that was a personal decision for me. Sure. Yeah. So I just, I've got two thoughts in my head. I think of Pat Jones smoking cigarettes with your mama. <laughs> and, I, and I think about Gary Gibbs um, in your house, turning the TV down. He turned That's it good. down. Yeah. My mom was like, whoa. I was like, oh my gosh. No. I was so embarrassed. I'm like, uh, well, and, I, and I've gone down for me, um, I've gone down memory lane a lot the last several days getting ready to talk to you because, you know, I'm not too much younger than you. And I was at um, the University of Oklahoma myself just you know, probably a year after you left. Ah. And so I watched you all throughout my high school days. And and so I, I'm familiar with Coach Gibbs and Coach Blake and all that. And, yeah. and it's just Coach Nellenberger. And those are some years that I remember, um, you know, very well you know, in my <laughs> life. So They're, they're but, memorable. Uh, yeah, no doubt. So, yeah. and it was a, you know, and that's what I was kind of getting to is like, it was a tough time for the program and you were right in the middle of it. You were kind of, uh, you were a bright spot for sure. And I think that even, uh, I even recognized that when I was watching and, and how, how, when you look back upon that as, as lean as some of those years might've been for the program and coming out of all the things they did in the eighties. And well, you, it's funny you say that. Right? Yeah, go ahead. A lot of people always say, Oh man, you played during the lean year. And I say to them, it's still the university of Oklahoma. Yeah. Listen, we were still ranked in the top five and top 10 mm-hmm. during that time period. We still played in a few bowls. Yeah. They weren't orange bowls or national championships, but we were still competitive. Right. I think at one point coach Gibbs knocked off a number two, Texas A&M and Norman in 91. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously that was a time period where University of Kansas and those guys were getting better. K-State sure. obviously got better. Yeah, they 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 were lean in 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 comparison to the 80s. Um, but gosh, we still the University of Oklahoma. And I never felt like I was, you know, the, the real question people ask, do you think you could have played in the 80s? Well, why wouldn't I think I could play in the 80s? <laughs> Do, do I? Do you think that I think less of myself than they did? Yeah, I, you know I'm old now, but put us put us back in our prime, and let's just go for it. Yeah. Let's just see. So, oh man, I we still had a great time. Yeah, we still you know we went to class most of the time. <laughs> uh, I, I still think we accomplished a lot. Yeah, you know, here's a, here's the sad part of that is Coach Gibbs won seventy percent of his games. That's right. He did. Right. So think if he'd have stayed around, maybe maybe something else. And I'm not saying. You know, Coach Blake didn't deserve his shot. I, I don't know if he was supported the way he should have been supported. Right. And and people question, you know, uh, Howard Snellenberger and, the, you know, got to lose a thousand pounds. You remember all of yes, that nonsense? And so I tell you this, nothing happens by accident or coinkydink. Right. <laughs> so what I experienced at the University of Oklahoma for those four years mm. have have benefited my life. Absolutely. Right. So so. So if it was lean or not, I've, I've learned how to deal like there's what we call some transferable skills. Mm. So so how I dealt with transition and 
and different coaches and different situations. Now I get to use in my life. Absolutely. So my life became richer because of these potentially or so-called lean years. Yeah. Uh, and so, man, you make the best of sure. it, right? And I, I left nothing behind. I had a great time. University of Oklahoma has been super to me. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, my wife and I were buying our first home in Tulsa because I was an academic casualty. My first year, I, I was not on scholarship. I had to pay. That's another story. But sure. I uh, it was on my the, I needed surgery. So I had it, but I wasn't on scholarship. So the university didn't pay for it, but it was on my credit. So no, now that surgery was on my credit from my freshman year in college until when did I move to Tulsa in 90. 98. Yeah. So that had been on my credit the whole time. So I'm I'm buying my first home, my wife and I, but I cannot purchase it because I got this outstanding debt from a surgery that I had while I was not on scholarship at the University of Oklahoma my freshman year. Goodness. I call Scott Anderson at the University of Oklahoma all of these years later. I said, Scott, I need to figure out how to get this off. Scott said, I'll call you back. It was gone when he called me back. Wow. How am I going to be upset with a university who literally helped me? They didn't have to. I wasn't on scholarship at the time, but they they knew I needed the surgery. Sure. But when it affected me, they helped me make it right. Yeah. I I got no complaints. Man. (laughs) Well, I have a lot of um, coaching friends that, you know, they'll listen to the show and and as I, I looked back, as I said, I went down memory lane uh, the last several days. I don't know that you could find three more different coaches that you played for. Oh man! Than Gary Gibbs and Howard Schnellenberger and John Blake. Sure, there 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 just can't be to me any more <laughs> varying personalities. I'm sure maybe they're more similar than I realize, but from the outside looking in, yeah, you know, you you had incredible experiences with all three of them. They're all different. And you even said it, it probably built up your resume of experience <laughs> dealing with different personalities. Yeah, but yeah. but you seem to have uh, a really affectionate place in your heart for Coach Blake. Oh, and, yeah. And I know he's with the Lord now. And, um, you know, I know that his passing, um, you know, affected a lot of people. Mm. But talk to us about what he means to you and what he meant for you as a player and as a person. Well, if, if, if there, if, you know, People in Norman, Oklahoma, and those who are familiar with University of Oklahoma, they know and they uh, commonly, uh, commonly or affectionately call Coach Blake Boo Blake, mm. right? So Coach Blake, man, was just one of those infectious guys. This, yeah. You know, just the big life of the party. And so Coach Blake talked with a lisp, right? Mm. So you imagine getting a phone call from this guy, hey, with him, <laughs> hey, freak. You know, everybody was a freak, right? <laughs> You want to win that for family and family. Come hang out with your boy, Boo Blake. Mm. Right. So, so Blake not only recruited you, but he recruited your entire family. Yeah. Right. So somehow he endeared you to him. Um, several about a year or so before Coach Blake died, I invited him to speak at our church. First time he had spoken publicly in an arena since he had been fired at the University of Oklahoma was our church. It was absolutely incredible. And here's the thing about it, man. I didn't agree with everything John Blake, mm. but I think when you're young, you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. But I think when time goes by, you get some perspective. That There's something that I say in the book, and that's when you judge people, you oftentimes judge with partial information. 
Yeah. Right. We don't know what's behind actions. We don't know. And so sometimes head coaches and coaches in general look differently to a kid who's in the moment. He doesn't quite understand. Uh, and I'll tell you, I don't I don't dislike any of those guys, any of those coaches uh, love John Blake. And matter of fact, even coach uh, Gary Gibbs, I'm doing a pulpit swap uh, later on this year with his son-in-law who passes the Northwest Baptist Church. Right. So. Um, so but Blake, man, he was just one of those guys that when he was when he was in the room. You knew he was in the room. Yeah, I mean, he's going. He's going to take up. He's going to suck all the air out the room, <laughs> and, wow. uh, and and it's going to be in a fun way. Yeah, right? you you couldn't be sad around him, and you know there were those moments as a coach that you know he had to be coach and had to do those things. But I, to be quite honest, I don't even remember the coaching side of him that much. Yeah, I, there's some moments that I remember, but yeah, yeah I, I remember the other moments. Personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he had it like none of. I appreciate you sharing that yeah. about him. He's, uh, you know, I, I really liked him as a coach and as a leader sure. of the program. And I, and I think that people looking back on it now, you know, it, it, it seems like there wasn't some of the support that needed to be there for sure. And in, and at the time you don't really notice that, like you said, but. Well, when you go at, back and look at the numbers, right. Yeah. You start talking about support staff and salary yeah. of coaches, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. When you go back and compare what they were getting versus yeah. other people in the conference, yeah, it, it tells right. its own story. That's right. And he was uh, obviously an incredible recruiter. Let me and tell you. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Listen. Ask Bob yeah. Stoops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He can do it. Yeah. He can absolutely do it. No doubt about it. Well, and I think the most important part about your time at University of Oklahoma is it, it seemed like that was the time when uh, I feel like I read that that's when your call to ministry happened, right? And yeah. walk us through that and like when you felt like God really leading you to <laughs> to be a pastor and, and share his word with the world and those around you. Yeah, I, I knew that there was a, a calling on my life young. And I say young, preteen, t- teenager, really. Yeah. And I sh- share with my mom, I've had this vision, this dream. I'm standing in front of people, right? You know, I, I, I've also been inspired, right? There is a T-shirt out that says Martin, Malcolm, uh, and me. Uh, Martin, Malcolm, Mandela, and me. Mm. And I've always thought that I was the me. The names are all with M's, Right. Right. Martin's birth name was actually Michael. Malcolm's birth name was actually Michael. Uh, I can go on and on about these things. And so I was inspired by that. And so when I would have these dreams, I just thought, oh, that's just me dreaming, you know, about Martin and Malcolm and all of that. And so ultimately I I felt like that. And so I, I, I accepted my call as a freshman in college and coach Gary Gibbs, believe it or not. My first collegiate football game was against Donovan McNabb in Syracuse. Um, I remember. And we won the game. I dropped the pass. Actually, it's on um, it's on ESPN Classics, and everybody always called you dropped a pass. And I always say, did you catch one? <laughs> did you get to play? I don't know. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, <laughs> but give me a little slack, please. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but before that game, the night before, and I don't know if it was the night before or the day of, Coach Gibbs actually let me do chapel for the team. Oh. And that's the highest honor, Coach Gibbs. I mean. He didn't have to choose me. You know, they always bring in some other guys and big people from around, but he actually let me do that. And I, so that was it. What a blessing, man. It was super. Wow. And and again, I wasn't a perfect, I wasn't a perfect young preacher pastor playing (laughs) football in University of Oklahoma. I made a lot of dumb mistakes, Uh, but those guys and my teammates still give me a lot of respect, even to this day. Mm. I appreciate you sharing that. So after 
you know, you have this dream to try to, you know, go to the NFL. That was one of your goals. You, I know you got a couple of chances to try out and yeah. uh, I know you were pretty banged up too and yeah. hurting and uh, tell us about those moments uh, after college. Well, so I got picked up as a free agent. I, I even had the audacity, the audacity to have a little watch party. My, I think my mom and my dad came over and I was already married to my wife, Cartina or yeah. Dr. Dr. McDaniel now, but um had a little watch party because I got in a couple of calls potentially that they're going to take me in that second or third day, whatever day of draft it was. And right. so ended up getting picked up as a free agent to go to the San Francisco 49ers. Did that, uh, made it to the last cut or something, I believe, and tried out with the um, kind of a, a tryout with the uh, Washington Redskins. And then I got a, a bit another tryout for the playoffs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So right. I was already feeling the pain in my body. Um what they call osteitis pubis, I think. And so, uh, but long story short, just recently, last April, I had a hip replacement. Uh, the year before that, I had a shoulder replaced and I still need another hip replaced and another shoulder, right? So- um, And that's all a result of playing ball. I mean, you think it's, that's- it's, it's ball and some of it potentially could have been hereditary with yeah. the arthritis from a parent, but mm. I got to believe, I know that's bad grammar, but- <laughs> I have to believe that a lot of it does come from football. Yeah. Yeah. The toll it takes on you. Let me tell you, it's not for the faint of heart. No. Right. Like, so if you're going to make a commitment, yeah. make the commitment. Well, I coached, you know, high school ball here in Norman and, you know, all those guys, they're great kids. They all think they can go play college ball. And like, we just tell them all the time, like <laughs> you just have, and I never played obviously, but, um, it's just a whole different Man, world. I listen Everybody's to good. Yeah. Oh, I'm going D1. Right. Really? <laughs> Like I used to tell my sons and some people, yeah, I don't want to offend anyone, but my son's like, oh, daddy, I'm this, I'm that. I said, son, you can't beat me yet. You're not. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not D1 material. Sure. <laughs> and so my kids got a chance to kind of be around the program because I, I do chapel. And so um, so we've done chapel at least for every Heisman Trophy winner. Right. And so my boys are in a picture with Sam Bradford. Oh, nice. And, and so as they gotten older and they get to walk in that room mm. and they, and they were looking and they're, they're comparing themselves to what walked in that room. Now there's no doubt. I think my sons had the ability to play D one football. My oldest did. He went to the air force Academy. Yeah. The youngest went to Emporia state, but what they saw was like, it's some real dudes walking <laughs> in this door. Yeah. And so, you know, that was always, that was always an interesting thing to see. The so, sobering reality. Yeah, no, no <laughs> doubt. And so the reality of, you know, would you say the NFL was a dream for you or was it just more about a means to an end possibly? Or It was it was it was about a means to an end. Right. Okay. I knew that if I got to that level, mm -hmm. that that was going to satisfy the ultimate dream. And that was to take care of my family, yeah. to take care of my mother, uh, to help take care of my siblings. So, mm -hmm. um but but I didn't I didn't you know I tell people if you blink your eyes that's how long I got to play so yeah. uh, that's what they say the NFL means not for long. <laughs> <laughs> and the final question about that just because you know I think it would be a to, to show us your heart in regards to it I mean so you don't make the cut on those teams and you were given your shot I mean were you were you devastated were you hurt by it I mean how did you process that knowing that those years are done. Okay. Yeah. No devastation here. Okay. I wanted to continue to pursue it, but I'll tell you this. After I got cut, uh, later on, I got uh, a call to go to NFL Europe, but I didn't go. Mm. So, I mean, I could have if I wanted to because I got a call to go. 
Yeah. But I was done. Like I didn't, I wasn't going to be one of those guys who struggled with you know, trying to play this game several years after I know I'm finished. Mm. Physically speaking, I could not endure any more pain. Like I don't want to take any more pills. I don't want any more shots. I don't want any of it. Yeah. So no, it wasn't hard. I was finished. <laughs> Got it. I didn't suffer with that girl. Right? <laughs> it wasn't hard for me to break up with her. Right. <laughs> I feel like I read something and I, some of it might be, you know, jumbled in my mind because I read so much, but wasn't there a time where you were like, in a wheelchair going from somewhere? Basically, when I, when I left my tryout with That's right. with um, Tampa Bay, and I'll tell you this, this was Tony Dungy's year. He, uh, they were going to the playoffs. Right. They told me that they had tried to contact me to tell me not to come because they had made a decision to just bring this other guy, this other wide receiver on for the playoffs. Mm. But after I finished my workout, he said, you made it hard for us. Now they kept the other guy, but here's here's the thing. I was hurting so badly that I needed some help when I got to the airport to God go man. home. I mean, that's how bad my hips were hurting me. So my my kids laugh at me because I walk very unstable, right? Like just <laughs> wobble a little bit. Like the guy in uh <laughs> men in black, right? <laughs> I got you. Well, I I appreciate all the um you know, the honesty and candor there with that part of your life. And we're going to get into one of your biggest passions right now about the book you've written and we're going to go there. And, but before I do that, I just want to give you a chance to tell us about your family right now oh. and tell us about your, your wife and your sons and your daughter and kind of, you know, you said you wanted to take care of your family and you're, yeah. you're doing that. And it, it sounds like you're doing it really well, but tell well, us about them. Don't ask them that <laughs> they could, ha- they could have some real objections. So, um, my wife, Dr. Cartina McDaniel, for I got married, I was 20, so I'm 47, so that's 27 wow. years. Um, awesome. So it'll be 28 years this October, I believe. And, um, you know, she's a principal in Edmond. Mm. Uh, she tolerates me, and, and clearly <laughs> we've, we've, we've gone through a lot as a married couple, um, being so young. And so uh, by his grace, we've, he's sustained us. My oldest son, Tevin. Uh, is 24, so it'll be 25. Yeah. My next son is Jaden, who is just turned 21 in okay. February. And then I, I call her my oops baby. <laughs> my, my, so I would always introduce her as my oops baby. One uh, day she goes home and she says, Mama, what does oops mean? <laughs> so then I was... I was thrashed to never call her my oops baby again. Which you just did. Yeah, I know okay. it. I know it. My ten-year-old girl, <laughs> Leah. Okay. And I, and I tell her, I love, I love my girl, uh, my only girl, the best. Right. Let's yeah, <laughs> go. So, so yeah, man, they're good. The boys are working, trying to find their footing in life. Yeah. My wife's a principal, like I said, at Sunset Elementary there in Edmond. Outstanding. And my daughter um, attends Heritage Hall, and so. Okay. She's playing volleyball. And, and the scary thing about her is that <laughs> the boys and I look at her and she may be potentially the most athletic child. <laughs> right. Uh, my wife is a former volleyball player from yeah. the University of Oklahoma. She's okay. actually in the Riverside, California Hall of Fame. Oh, same Hall of Fame as Barry Bonds, Cheryl and Reggie Miller. Yeah. You know, that whole deal. So. So it's, you know, we the Lord has blessed our family, to say the awesome. least. So we're I'm super grateful. Well, and as you talk about your um, your sons finding their footing yes. in life, um, one of the things that uh, I really want to focus in on in the last half of this 
conversation with you is, is the book that you've written and mm-hmm. I've read through it twice. And I, <laughs> and I felt like, um, you know, I'm 43 years old and I've got a two year old. I kind of started late in life, you know, and, um, he's not my oops son though, but <laughs> <laughs> they'll but call we, him your grandson after right. a while when your hair that's turns right. Great. That's right. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be, is that your grandpa? You know, I'll be like 58 years old when he graduates high school, you know, so, but, but your book has really, um, hit me and I, and I think it's going to, obviously it's, it's catered and, and written towards father's but there are just some timeless biblical truths in there for everyone. And I just want to talk about some of those. Um, we're going to link to the book in the show notes where you can uh, check that out and purchase that and give you the, the means to do so. But I think any dad that's uh, raising sons, whether they're in their twenties or whether they're two like mine, these things are, um, they're just really powerful truths. And uh, the title of the book is uh, things I think you ought to know. And there's two questions I want to start with. <laughs> The word ought is yeah. very big, right? Yeah. And then I want you to tell us um, out of the 27 things that you write in that book about principles, truths for your your boys, <laughs> what's the one that's the most important to you? So let's sure. start with the ought. Yeah. And which one hits you? We, the we most? didn't even talk about ought in our in our pre-conversation, I don't believe. <laughs> I don't think so. So what happens <laughs> with the word ought? Um, when I was, you know, trying to get people to edit some some things, um, some people wanted to change the ought to should or something, right? Oh, yeah. And I said, no, mm. I like ought. It's ought is odd, first of all, but it's, a, I want it to, I want people to understand, I'm not telling them what they have to do. I'm simply saying, this is what I think you ought to know. You ought to know this stuff, yeah. right? Now, it's up to you to kind of decide what you want to do. Uh, so, so that's kind of the reason why I never, and most of the, uh, the editors that I dealt with wanted me to change the op. Funny story. Uh, this is a very conversational tone book, right? Yeah. I'm I'm not going to win a Pulitzer Prize, right? So remember, <laughs> I do have the IEP, right? So hopefully I spelled everything correctly in the book. But at any rate, um, you know, one, one publishing company house said, hey, man, you've really captured that conversational tone. Like I can literally see, hear you talking to yourself. There's no doubt. Yeah. And, and so I was, th- that really gave me a boost that I was kind of going in the right direction. So, um, and, and, and remember this, man, as a dad, um, you know, I, I share with my sons, I had a son out of wetlock who passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in college. Is in that college. Right? Yes. Right. So, I remember taking my sons to the grave of my my deceased son, mm. and and she didn't just lose the baby, um, you know, first term. It was in delivery. Oh man! And not as a nineteen year old, eighteen, nineteen. I didn't even understand what was happening, and so I would I, I would stand there and I would tell my sons, "Now listen, this doesn't have to be you." If you're not doing the things that you shouldn't do. Yeah. And so those were just, I wanted to be transparent about me. Uh, They live with me. They've seen me at my best. They've seen me at my worst. And so I want them to know, no matter what happens, whether I'm here or gone, here's what I think you ought to know. I want Mm. you to hear my heart to you. Yeah. And hopefully you can use some of this Mm. to help you make it in life. Yeah, that's good. Um, not to be like your father for whatever, you know, bad stuff. People say your daddy's this and not just me, but I heard that stuff as a, as a young man about my father. Uh, and I'm just like, no, I don't, 
you can listen to those people, but mm-hmm. hear hear my voice, hear my words to you. Yeah. Right. So. Well, in the word, it, I just get it's a loving tone as well. You could have titled it "You Better Do These Things." Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That <laughs> may not have hit as well, um, you know. But that, I just think the title is very unique. And the first time I saw it, it it did, str- it, you know, it struck a chord with sure. me. You know that it's you can only you know put these things out there in front of them, and you what remember, they do with them is their you, decision. Yeah, you remember the amazing scene in uh, The Lion King when. Simba is run off because he feels like based on what the hyena told him that he killed his father. He never overcame it until now Nyla comes, right? Yeah. And he's trying to still negotiate and navigate whether or not he can go back home. Mm. And he looks at that reflection in that pool and his father's voice came to him. I want my sons to look in that book, their reflection and see not just their earthly father, but their heavenly father. Hear his voice. Mm -hmm. And I hope that they hear mine, but not that it supersedes God's. But but that's what it it took that moment and that prophet monkey by the name of Rafiki (laughs) to help Simba get back home. Absolutely. And I hope these words to my sons, when they find themselves in moments, that these words can help them steady their path. Yeah. Wow. You, you, you have 27, 27. So did you have 57 and you had to whittle it down or did you, was it, uh, did you, I mean, you had a magic number there. I mean, no. So essentially I was attempting to start off with 21, right? Right. Because normally at our church, when we fast it's for 21 days. Sure. So I felt like, well, if, if I want to share this in a devotional way with our church members, it could just be for 21. Well then Talking to some people in writing the book, publishers, et cetera, says, well, you may want to, if you're going to do that, do 30 or 31 because mm-hmm. then you can, you know, do the whole month. Yeah. Well, so I just kind of landed on 27. No real reason. Okay. Um, and I think that there are some more that I could have put <laughs> yeah, in. Sure. Uh, but 27 seemed to be enough. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to attempt to force any more. Right. Yeah. And so. As you've seen, if you read the book, obviously, you know, I share a scripture. Um, I kind of share my thoughts. And in most of them, I kind of tell a relatable story. Absolutely. And I've just used my own life. No one else's. Yeah. Um, and they're just, they're stories I can't tell. Right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we all so, have those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's been, so it's really cool. Yeah, and so, I can, I can speak from experience. Like I said, I've read it twice and it's super conversational. Even if you're a person that doesn't necessarily like to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, I, I sat down and I, it took me about an hour and 15 minutes to read the whole thing last night from cover to cover yep. just because refreshing my memory about it. And I just couldn't put it down. And I, and the whole time I'm reading, I'm thinking of my son and, and how I can show him these things and tell him these things and explain them to him. And, and so out of those 27, back to my <laughs> original question, yeah, that's good. Which one is just, if you had to pick one that just is the biggest difference maker for a father to a son? What would it be? Well, I I wish you let me cheat and give you two, but I'll, I'll let you I, give I, me two. I'll give you. I'll give you this <laughs> one, and I, I think it's that. I think it's the first one. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. So, in in the way I was raised, and culturally speaking, no adult, no parent, really ever apologized to a child. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't the way it was. You know. Um, 
But I think sometimes as a dad, personally, when I look back over my life, when I recognize there are moments that I have had epic fails, uh, that I didn't handle situations right. um, I felt like it's important. Mm. You need to let them know that you acknowledge that you jacked it up. Yeah. And so that's hard to do as a dad, Mm. but sometimes you have to, whether they accept your apology or not. Uh, I think it is ours to extend. Mm. Um, and here's what an apology is not. It doesn't keep me from doing wrong tomorrow. Right. It just acknowledges the one today. We pray that we can minimize, you know, the 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 carnage, but but it just acknowledges in this moment. And I think sometimes an apology is 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 a key to opening some doors for some son or for some father um, because that begins to break the soil of resentment and harboring grudges and all kinds of things, right? It is, it is, it is the breath of fresh air uh, in an otherwise nearly dead situation. Mm, That's really good. So many, so much of, a person's second wind in life comes after an apology. That's good. Not just say, I'm sorry, but learn it. Well, and I think that word learn is a big word. How do you learn it? Well, listen, you, you have to, sometimes you can say it just kind of flippantly. Mm. Right. And it really has no depth, no meaning. Some people are just saying it just because, okay, it fits here. So I need to, Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's poignant, right? Yeah. I think it's it's measured, right? It's it's timing, and 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 it has to be authentic, right? And I tell them to learn how, and I, I do share with them. I hope I hope you can live a life where you don't have to, but I doubt you can. Yeah. And so you need to learn. Mm. That needs to be a part of your vocabulary. So that's the first one. Yeah, that's right the out of the first gate, one. It's the yes. first one that yeah. comes at us and. What uh, you got a close uh, one A and one B. So what's one B for you? Well, it would be I'm proud of you. Oh, yeah. So so remember, as 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 people of God, we are working to hear God say one thing: "Well done, thy good and faithful servant." He didn't say, "Well done, thy good and perfect servant." He didn't say, "Well done." my good and got everything right. And no, he did not. So to me, to say I'm proud of you means this. I may be disappointed in your actions, but I'm always proud of you. I may be disappointed in some things you might've said, you might've done, but I'm always proud of you. We live in such a society where Men need affirmation. We think they don't, but they mm-hmm. do. And they need it from other men. They need it from their fathers. They need it from a surrogate father. They they need to hear us say, I'm proud of you. Oh, that's good. And I and I think that's powerful, right? Because Absolutely. For for someone to to live life with no one ever saying they're proud of you. Right? And it happens way too often. Man, remember when Jesus is there and getting baptized by John the Baptist, his father says, This is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. Absolutely. Right? So um, I'm proud of you. So I, to my kids, the first one is for me to them to say, hey, daddy, sorry for his action. But lastly, I'm proud of yours. Oh, that's good. I, you know, my my father was an alcoholic, 
and a drug addict most of his life. We, we buried him uh, when he was 48. Mm. And so I've been without my dad for a long time. But hearing you share this, it takes me back to a moment when there was a season in my life, my dad was sober and he came to hear me preach. Mm. And I remember walking um, him walking out the door of the church and I was standing out there greeting everybody. And I remember him looking at me and hugging me and looking at, you know, face to face and said, I, that was a really good sermon, son. And I'm really proud of you. And I, I'm, it's burned in my mind forever. And cause those were things I didn't hear a whole lot, sure. but there, there's nobody on earth that would impact me, but those words more than him, than my dad. Absolutely. Nobody. And, and I just know that those are words that have to come out of my mouth more with my son and my daughters. And I don't know why we're so reluctant to say it like we should. Why do you think that is? Where's the, why is the reluctancy there sometimes? You well, think? I think sometimes we're socialized that way, right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's, I do mention something in the book where, I don't recall my mother saying she loved us a lot mm. when we knew she did, but we didn't always hear it. And then with further investigation with her siblings and their mother, she didn't say it a lot, mm. but they know she did. And so at some point we made a decision or try to make that decision that we just need to say it. And, um, and I, and I think that's so important. And you, you start talking about your dad and my mother and father were never married and people were like, yeah, you born out of wedlock, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? I'm here. <laughs> Had nothing to do with me. Thank you. Let's move on. <laughs> that's like, that's dumb to me now. Yeah. Like, stop. So, uh, and I used to tell my, I tell people from the pulpit that, you know, you're mad and you found out your mom and dad weren't married when you were born or you're mad. Like, Why? Why are you mad at them? I got nothing to do with you. Stop. That's, <laughs> people need to hear that. Man, listening. No my, doubt. my mom was dealt with her issues and depression or who deals with alcoholic. I I get it. I'm not saying you're not scarred. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but I'm saying that was their struggle. Right. And, and so the fact that you're here, you've learned how to, you've grown and you've forgiven them and you can love them. Don't let that stuff hold you hostage. Right. And so that's what I'm saying to my sons in this book. Don't Mm -mm. let my stuff be my stuff. And then you deal with yours. That's good. You know, let my stuff be my stuff and you deal with yours. It's worth repeating. (laughs) Well, I will tell you that um, one of the very, when I got the book the first time, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I (laughs) I looked at table contents and I, I, I checked out just titles of chapters and the one that stood out to me immediately and just jumped off the page. And I jumped, I went to it first, read it first was the, the chapter that talks about, you know, learn to realize when something is over oh my with, gosh. you know, yeah, learn to realize when something's over with, when your time is done with something and talk to us about it. Why is that in there? Why is it one of the 27? That's a big one. <laughs> so if, if there's, if there's a thing that I could share with my sons, oftentimes we get involved and I use the example of football. Yeah. Those guys who are continuing to chase that dream when that dream has really dissipated, it's already gone, but they keep chasing it and they lose and they damage so many things around them chasing something that's gone. In life, we refer to it in the biblical sense as seasons. 
Eternal life is obviously forever. Relationships and activities on this side are seasonal. And I don't want my sons to lose and risk everything in situations that have been dead for a while. And so I don't want them to be stuck, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a career. And you're burning all of your energy and resources in something that you've just missed the exit for. So recognize that. Do the hard work of evaluating and praying and and determining that this is over. You asked me, was it hard for me to leave football? No, because I had seen so many guys chase this and their time was over with. They, They couldn't do what they were doing or did years before. And that's hard. Because we develop habits, we're we're used to somebody, we can't get away from them. And it's like, no, do not stay another day. Even even romantic relationships, right? Okay, it's beautiful, it's sweet, but guys, is is this of God? Is this this what it is? Mm. Because if it's not, I would rather you make a decision to move forward in life versus to stay there Mm. and cultivate something that's not for you. Yeah. That's Recognize good. when it's over. Well, that's the one that stood out to me the most. Yeah. And I have to, obviously, you have a purple shirt on. No one can see you, obviously, yes. on the front of your shirt. Yes. And very uh, beautiful gold letters. It says, honor your word. Yeah. That is one of your <clears throat> principles in the book. And it's a big one. And as a father, um, speak to us about what that might so, look so, like. Yeah. So honoring your word is a lofty idea, mm-hmm. right? But, but it is also um, absolutely achievable. In every situation, maybe not, right? So, so you know, and I wear stuff, and obviously I'm wearing this because this is one of the principles of the shirt uh, in the book. And someone's like, "Do you always honor your word?" No, I haven't always, but I promise I want to. I, I want to try to attain this every single day. Mm. My father, who wasn't married to my mother, and who would come and support me and see me and do all these other things, right? So one day he had told me he was coming to a basketball game. And I was a middle school kid. I played at uh, Mayfield Middle School out on the um, the west side of town, Putman City School District. Sure. The whole entire game, I believe I was a seventh grader. I could have been an eighth grader. But I'm looking out of – no, I was a seventh grader for sure. Uh, as I was playing, I kept looking at the door, trying to figure out was my father going to make it. At the end of the game, my mother says, "Yeah, you're looking for your daddy, weren't you? He ain't make it. Mm-hmm. And I was sad, right? Because I wanted to see my father. And I just remember remembering what I felt like because he didn't keep his end of the bargain. Yeah. He might have not, he he may have later on shared with me some reasons why. But in that moment, I was disappointed. And and I I just I want to honor my word to the point where if I don't, there are ramifications to it, right? Mm. I'm gonna disappoint my children. The thing that I wanted to not do in my life was to disappoint my mother. So to see disappointment on her face would literally just bring me to tears. Yeah. Right. So as you as a husband, whatever. Right. We have to try to honor our word because our word is our bond. Right. Um, And so if we give people our words and as a pastor, your words are very powerful because you're cultivating, you are you're sharing every day. And, And so in those moments. To attempt to honor your word is a very powerful thing to do. And as a son, as a father to my sons, one, I want to try to honor my word to you, but I also want you to learn how to to know that you have to honor your own word. Mm. Would you say that uh, 
you know, just society today, it just, it seems like sometimes we just seem more okay with broken promises, especially like if you look in the political world and, oh, and you sure. know, it's just people, you know, making, you know, bargains, they can't hold their end of the deal up on. And, and it just almost like it's, it's, it's almost acceptable. Yeah. And, and I feel like that. And, and maybe, maybe that's not, you know, entirely accurate, but for me, I just, I feel like it's just sometimes words are cheap. Well, and I agree with you. And I think some in this day, I don't know if a promise is received the same way as before. Yeah. Right. So when a politician or someone makes a promise based on what you think about them or your cultural or your, um, your, your context, right. Mm, you, you can, you'll say to yourself, <laughs> I don't trust that. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the, the power of words, I think in some cases, they're still alive and real, but in other cases they don't carry as much weight mm-hmm. as they used to. Uh, but I think that we need to treat our words with respect and power, right? Yeah. Because, because yeah, it may not mean much to someone else, but to those people who are close to me, mm-hmm. it may mean something. Right. Yeah, that's good. And I'm not living in some strange place to think that we're going to be perfect. Right. Right. What I'm saying by honoring your word is attempt to do what you said you were going to do. That's great. At the end of the day. Keep it simple. Yeah. Attempt to do what you said you're going to do. Yeah. Well, I want to, uh, you know, one of the other ones that really stood out to me is one of, one of your points was, you know, get up when you fail. And, and you might be mad at me for telling you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I, I recently, um, last night, I, I watched the fourth quarter of that Syracuse game. You were oh, talking my gosh. About. I know. Don't be mad at me. <laughs> Don't turn your mic off, all right? <laughs> and the, and the, you mentioned the Gary Gibbs and the Syracuse game going yeah. back to um, you playing at the University of Oklahoma. And uh, what a great game, by the way. It, you can watch it in a very horrible quality on YouTube, but it's still there. <laughs> Great commentary. TJ Mills almost cost us the game. Sorry, rascal. (laughs) We'll we'll tag him in the show notes too. But uh, (laughs) but one of the things after that game, because you felt like you had you know had an opportunity you missed, a ball thrown your way, and someone basically asked about it in the press conference afterwards, and kind of came after your uh, your you know you a little bit personally. Mm -hmm. And and how did Coach Gibbs respond to that? And and in regards to this principle you wrote to your sons, tell us about it. Basically. You know, when you go back and you watch that thing, which I cannot believe you watched. Don't that. be mad at me. No, I'm not you, bad. I'm not bad. <laughs> it's a great uh, game. Yeah. Oh man. About the time I dropped that ball, they were talking about, hey, this Michael McDaniel, this parade all American. Boom, he drops the ball. Anyway, uh, what Coach Gibbs said to me that really lifted up my my head was this. Um, I'll throw it to him again next week. <sighs> yeah. He just, you know, he needs to get ready because he's gonna get another chance next week. And so good. And that's the thing about life, man. You know, man, we all need, we got to get up. We we fail. We we drop the ball. We misstep. We, and we can do it intentionally, right? I ain't talking about no accidental sin. I'm talking about I show enough did it. Yeah. Right. But you got to get up from it. Mm. Right. And so for me, I don't want my, my boys to live in depression and doubt and failure and the one reason I say get up is this, is because there are some people who will try to keep you down. Yeah. By, you know, you rehearsing your your failure. Get up. 
and let them rehearse it all they want to. But you've got back up because you're still anticipating another opportunity, another chance to succeed or to do the next thing. Ah, so, so good. Yeah. No, nobody. Nobody. Well, Jesus didn't stay down. That's right. Amen. <laughs> just, just a few days. Right? <laughs> just a few days. Amen. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, and my final one, and I'm going <laughs> to turn it over to you. Um, that I just, to me is just gigantic because God has done so much in my life and in this area, but give people a second chance. And, yeah. you know, when I look at my life and I, I just take a glance back on things that God has loved me through and forgiven me through and redeemed me from, um, God has given me multiple second chances. And, you know, so you're saying this to your sons, mm-hmm. give people second chances and, some of us, we might feel apprehensive about that. We don't want to get hurt. You know, we don't yeah. want to be a doormat. You know, how do you know when it's the right time to give someone a second chance? You know, I think I think you'll be led. But I think the general idea here is that count no one out because of one thing. Mm. Right. Um, because there's still yet potential. Yeah. Right. And so. um we, we have to see, we are all created in the Amargo Dei, in the image of God, right? So yeah. we have to begin to see people the way he sees people, right? How they look now is not how they're going to look later. What yeah. they've done today doesn't determine what they're going to do tomorrow. So if, in fact, we don't give them a second chance, we, in fact, hinder their potential, their abilities, because sometimes they just need another chance. Yes. Yes. You're going to someone's going to take advantage of it. Yes. You're going to be misused at times. I heard one preacher say, you ain't a real Christian until you've been been used at least two or three times. Right. (laughs) Because people get to take advantage of us. Absolutely. So, but I think not to give a second chance or provide another opportunity. I think myself, just like you, when you think about what God has done for us, man, I listen, I I was academically ineligible and and then they still let me come. And then I then I almost flunk out of school. I gotta I I gotta ask this lady, uh, her name was Dean Carney, and and she's in the book, and and she looked like that. that senator, that female senator from G.I. Jane, right? <laughs> and I think they was even smoking in the offices back at the University oh, of Oh, I'm sure they were. And, and, and she looked at me and she says, why should I let you stay at my university? I said, because if you don't let me stay, I got nothing. I'm going to go back to this neighborhood. I don't want to go down that path. Mm. And uh, I said, this is all I have. That lady gave me an opportunity. She gave me a second chance. And here's the thing. I didn't deserve a second chance. My grades showed that my behind should have been gone home. Mm. But she said, all right. And, and, I, and yes, I believe it was a little bit because I was a football player. But here's the thing. I don't care why she did it. She did it. Yeah. And I took advantage of my second chance. That's great. I'm not here without the second chance. And I would be remiss if I didn't give someone else a second chance to meet and to reach their potential. You're not pastor without a second chance. Not, <laughs> you have, you have if, no idea, brother. If if if, <laughs> if 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 we had social media when I was at University of Oklahoma, they'd be like, "No, he can't be my pastor." <laughs> <laughs> it's a hundred percent true, though. So, no, there's you. no doubt. So, so I, I really feel passionately about about just. Because the underdog often needs a second chance. That's great. Well, 
I am going to just leave it with you, um, you know, for time and purposes and, and just to allow you to, to put the lid on all of this. And is there any particular one final principle from your book that you would love to, to leave with our listeners today that just you think would, you know, just wrap it up for us? Yes. This last one. Remember past sacrifices. Remember past sacrifices. Yes. I believe there's a photo in the book of my family. Uh, it's my mother who, if you pay attention, has on an orange shirt mm. at the University of Oklahoma. My sister and my brother. Man, w- when I think about what my mother did. Now, I love my father. My mom p- predominantly raised me. My father was around. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Tulsa for 10 years as associate athletic director or Roberts, when I moved back because uh, to, to pastor this church, my mom got sick and died. Then my father got sick and died. But uh, but on, upon my return, every Monday night until my father died, we spent on my patio watching Monday Night Football. Listen, loved it so much. I used to call my other siblings and say, hey, guess where daddy is? He's at my house, like to tease them that he wasn't with them. <laughs> but my mom, when I remember what she did and how she sacrificed in a family of five kids and, you know, man, we didn't have much. We, sometimes we didn't have light water or gas. Sometimes we didn't have all the food we wanted. And but just her relentlessness and she suffered. She suffered in many ways in her own um, mentality and depression and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when I just remember what she would at least attempt to do to make it for us. Right. Um, I, I almost uh, I get emotional just to think about what my mom did and what she tried to instill in us and to help us to, to make it and find the fortitude to live in moments that she didn't even want to live. Mm. Because she contemplated suicide and all of those things. So when I when I think about this, to tie this whole thing up, for my sons, I want them to know, remember the sacrifices of your mother and your father. Remember what we attempted to do for you. Mm-hmm. And in turn, attempt to do for your own. Well, I cannot, uh, I can't think of a better way to close it. And we'll let the book speak for itself. Sure. And Thank we, you so much. Absolutely. Man. We hope that people will check it out and, and be blessed by it. We just, we just stuck our toes in the water here on the show. Sure, There's so sure. many more things to talk about. And Michael, all I can say to you is, is dad to dad here today. Yeah. You bless my heart. Well, and, uh, thank you, man. We're, uh, we're in this together as, as, uh, men that love Christ. And, and so thank you so much. It's been an honor, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, that was an unbelievable interview with pastor Michael McDaniel. I'm so grateful. He joined me on the show and I just asked that you, the listener, well, go check out the show notes because there's a lot of links there for you to get to know Pastor McDaniel better, a link to his church, a link to buy his book, and also some newspaper articles and videos about him. I think you'll be blessed by doing that. And I know Pastor McDaniel would love to hear from you and he would love your support. I've got a little surprise here at the end. I have five free books to give away that Pastor McDaniel wrote things I think you ought to know. And all you have to do to secure one of those books is send me an email, pastorkitchell at gmail.com. And the first five people that contact me there, I'll get the book out to you free and immediately. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode today. It's been an honor to be a small part of your life. And I just cannot wait until we're together again. 
where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.